But anyway, last week, getting to my preach here, last week we looked at the difference between the church as an organization and the church as a family, the family of God. We saw, and I'm just going to give a little bit of a recap here so that you know where we are. We saw that family places more value on who we are rather than what we do. The difference between organization and family is something that we need to understand. Some of the traditions that we've fallen in in the life of the church over the years is to, to view the church, and often the church is called an organization. Well, an organization is only led way different to a family. The interesting thing that God never mentions organization once in the Bible, and uh, His name is God the Father. Jesus God the Son, and Jesus calls us uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So family has always been at the heart of God, that we would be part of the family of God. Family uh, celebrates and encourages diversity. Uh, organization is more about conformity. And I love how Peter explained that in, in, in 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, he, he says that we are living stones that have been built into a spiritual house, the house of God. And within that spiritual house and within us, the Holy Spirit dwells. And I've always liked that picture of stones because often the churches in, in uh, trying to conform, especially in the uh, years ago, the whole thing about church then was you all have to be the same. We all have to be like bricks and not like stones. But God has made us differently and has given us different gifts and talents and looks and, and uh, He's built us all together. And that's what the family of God is about, a diverse people coming together in unity and worshiping God. Family is inclusive. Isaiah 6, 8, 5-6, we saw that the Word of God says, God puts the lonely in family. If you are lonely and you're looking for friendship in that, the connect groups are there, the ladies groups are there, and often the volunteer groups are, uh, I see the, uh, the, the open up like up team, uh, maybe uh, guys that uh, are involved in that, become quite a band of brothers and helping each other and so on. So God wants to connect us in family. And family honors and loves one another. It is inclusive. And finally, family is about shared responsibility. We looked at that in more detail. That we, God has given us a spiritual load to carry as a church, as one of the churches in the city. And we are just one of many life-giving churches that God has placed here in the city, not to be exclusive, but to be inclusive but for us to play our role in the vineyard that God has given us. And see, the, some of the things that He's called us to, to carry is a spiritual love through prayer, praying for the church, praying for the city, praying for each other. Um, God does nothing without prayer. Prayer is a catalyst. Prayer is a sign of humility because it acknowledges our dependence on God for who we are and where we are. There's a physical load, a voluntary response and participating. 
and a financial loan to tithe and offer. And as I said before, when visitors come to our home, uh, they don't walk in the door and ask us to take out the trash. Because they visit And there are visitors here and people looking for churches. And if this is where God has placed you, He will show you where you should be. Because He places you, not man. And we'd love to have you here. But this is a process that you may be going through and just deciding where that is. Uh, but family, family does that. Family cleans the house, family does all of those things. And that's just like the family of God. See, and in Ephesians 4.10, to 16, sorry, I want you to read this. So this is one of the foundation scriptures of what we believe. The foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets of Jesus as the cornerstone according to Ephesians 1. But in Ephesians 4.11-16, this is what it says. Now, it's, talk, it's just talked about the ascension of Jesus. So that he is talking about in this passage, as Paul is writing, is Jesus. And this is, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And he did this for a purpose. It's not a purpose that we could just get more information, that we could become this happy family. But this was the role, the, the apostolic role of the church and the leaders is to prepare God's people for works of service. And the reason is that this Paul writes under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so that the body may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is such a rich passage. Then we will no longer, as we mature and come to maturity, be infants, tossed backwards and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunningness and craftiness of men in the deceitful scheming. And this is the key, and this is what I want us to focus on today. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Truth that is not combined to love can be very harsh. And I often say this to, to people when we're speaking into people's lives. We need to build relational bridges before we can speak into somebody's life. I just don't want a random stranger to corner me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. But I do want friends, families, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to speak into our lives. And the weight of truth that we can, somebody can speak into life is determined by the strength of that relational bridge. And this is where the church has gone wrong. Even with the world, we're so quick at telling people what to do. It's so slow to build relationships. You see, we cannot carry 10 ton loads worth of truth on a one ton relational bridge. We need to build those relationships. Build those relationships because God's not the people that you want to speak into your life. And each one of us can do that by speaking the truth but in love. When all things grow into Him, He is the head that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together 
by every supporting ligament. 1 Corinthians 12, you can read about that. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. <coughs> God has an expectation of it. And yes, it's to help in church family, but it's to be laborers, laborers for the gospel, laborers for him in our, in our uh, workplaces and so on. And I read this amazing quote by Charles, Charles Stanley speaking uh, of servanthood. You know, Rick's, I mean, Bernie, can we have it up? He says this, he wrote this. True greatness is not found in a little, uh, found in a, in a title, a salary, or a position of influence. True grace and greatness is found in servanthood. Willingly meeting the needs of others without looking for recognition from people. God's word promises that He will honor your humility. When believers finally realize that their calling is to serve, not merely to seek their own interests, then the church will have an irresistible impact on the world. Amazing, I was thinking about that, and then I thought of that. Um, speech that JFK gave at his inauguration, I think it was in 1960-61, and uh, he challenged the nation with these words. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country or for your nation. And I was thinking about that, and I felt this, could we say, ask not what Jesus can do for us, but we, what we can do for Jesus. Can we turn that around in our lives? You see, we can never outgive God, outgive love God, outso God in any way. And God will be no one's debtor. So when we sow into the kingdom and when we are financially or with blood or whatever it is, we can expect in due time that we will be rewarded. Unfortunately, we look at reward in the body of Christ for blessing a lot of the time as, as finances. But I tell you, you can be the richest man in the world and be dying of a disease. And I'm sure that money becomes less important in your life than anything else. God blesses us in many other ways. Friendship, family, joy, peace, righteousness, all of these amazing things that he gives us. You see, in scripture we see that Jesus came, as I was reading Stanley's thing and, and this, to redefine greatness. To redefine greatness. You know, we look at greatness and great exploits and so on, but I want to show you the kingdom of greatness. You see, it is not the ones who lord it over people, but the ones who humble themselves and choose to serve people. Servant people are the greatest in the kingdom. And when I speak about leadership, to me, in one way or other, we are all leaders. There's always somebody looking at us and following us. If anything, we are leading ourselves. And when we do that in humility, humility is like a, 
a, a, a light like a moth to a candle. Like a candle to a moth, should I say. Humility. People are attracted to it. And one of the places Jesus addresses this uh, redefinition of greatness is in Matthew 20. I had a good life when I read this over and over. More than likely could see myself or maybe my mom in the same story. Because this is what it says. This is what happened. The mother of James and John, the, mother, the, the sons of Zebedee, come to, she comes to ask Jesus with them in tow a crazy question. And I wonder how many moms would have done the same or dads. And Matthew 20, 20 to 28 says this, Then the wife of Zebedee, Zebedee came to Jesus with her two sons and bowed before him and asked him a favor. What do you want, Jesus asked she. She answered, Promise me that these two sons of mine will sit at your right and your left, uh, the left of you when you are king. I was just thinking of that. Just the hilarity of it. I'm wondering, okay, so Jesus is thinking, I'm seated on the right-hand side of the Father. So one of these guys wants to replace God. <laughs> it's quite a big ask, eh? <laughs> I don't think Mom Zebedee had thought it out too well. And he says this, don't you know what you're asking for. And Jesus asked, answered the sons, can you drink the cup of suffering that I am about to drink? We can, they answered. You will indeed drink the, my cup, Jesus told them, but I do not have the right to choose who will sit at my right or on my left, especially because God is on my left. <laughs> These places belong to those whom the Father has protected. When the other ten disciples heard this, they became angry with the two brothers. That's another hilarious thing. I wonder whether they were angry because these guys asked before they did in righteous indignation. How dare you do that? You beat us to it. See, these were normal people like you and I, the disciples. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the heathen have power over them, and the leaders have complete authority. This is not the way it shall be amongst you in the kingdom. And he says, as he redefines greatness, he says this, whoever wants to be great must become your servant. Just like the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus takes a worldly view of greatness, which is driven by selfish ambition and self-interest and self-indulgence and self-glorification, and turns it upside down and re redefines true greatness as humility and servanthood to the point of us laying down our lives, not only for our, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. And here's the key. 
Jesus did not talk the talk. He walked the walk. And that's another thing that people want to see, that people will back up their word. And he led by example. We see Jesus' example in Philippians chapter 2. You'll often hear this here. I can never get away from this. This passage actually speaks of Jesus, but it actually is speaking about the humility of God, the Son. It says, do nothing out of selfishness, and this is how we live a life worthy for God, out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each one of you should not only look at your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that is Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God incarnate, the creator of the universe, chose to leave heaven and clothe himself with humanity. Divinity clothed with humanity. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as a result, he didn't need to exalt himself on earth. He didn't need to push. He needed to put his hands up, choose me, choose me, and all of that. But because of what he did, because kingdom, humility means greatness, and greatness means humility, God exalted him. He didn't have to do it himself. To the highest place, and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Colossians, Paul encourages this amazing church with these words. Something that we should read after church. I believe if we could live out just those 11 verses in Philippians and these last few verses of Colossians, we would change the world. There's a lot more to the Bible, but Bible is not about head knowledge. It's about transformation so it becomes heart knowledge. And one of the longest journeys in the world is actually from here to here. To get information empowered by the Spirit of God so it becomes revelation and that's what we walk in. Revelation, when we get revelation that comes through faith, we know that we know that we know and nothing can separate us from that like the love of God. Paul had that revelation that nothing, death, life, nothing, could separate us from the love of God. He says, for I'm convinced of that. And we need information to become revelation. I'd ask you this, how many of you, uh, just you don't have to um, lift up your hands because I don't want to embarrass others that may be seeking, but how many of you believe you're saved? I'm sure a lot of you, all of you, some of you, for sure. 
But how do you know? The Word of God says your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Have you seen that book? Have you seen your name in that book? How do you know? You know by faith. You know in your knower. You know that you know that you know that you know. It's not a rational decision. It's not an intellectual decision. It's not wise and persuasive words. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, Paul says in Corinthians, that turns information, the, 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 um, the Logos word, the written word of God, into revelation, and it becomes the rhema word of God, the living word of God. And that's when trials and tribulations, it's not information that is going to help us stand. That's why Jesus says we've got to build on the rock. And the rock is Jesus Christ. On the revelation that he is, he says, on this revelation I will build my church, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16. And that's what will hold us. That's what hold these guys together through trials and tribulations. If they did not believe Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, do you honestly think 11 of the 12 would have uh, allowed themselves to be martyred for not denying that? And John died in exile, in solitary confinement, for the same reason. All they had to do is deny Christ and they would have been set free. But they knew that they knew that they knew. And that's a revelation that God wants for us. For us. And this is what Paul says to the church in Colossae. Going through a few issues, a few doctrinal things going on there. But he finishes like this. Paul is such an amazing man of grace. When he writes to the churches, the first thing he does is not look at everything that's wrong with it, but he encourages them. And then at the end of his letters, he encourages them again. He understood that they, like us, were a work in progress. And this is what it says here in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, this is what we've been speaking about, whether in word or deed. Do it in all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Going to the bottom for sake of time, please read the, the passage. It's amazing in context. But this is what Paul says to this church in finishing this letter. Whatever you do, no matter what you do, no matter what you've been called to do, no matter where you go, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. That's an incredible story. You aren't working for the eldership. You aren't working for the leaders. You aren't working for, I'm not here working for you. I'm functioning in a gift that God has given me to serve him and thereby serve people. And my gifting and my anointing is no more important than yours. It's just different. Leaders leave, givers give, servers serve, prophets prophesy, encouragers encourage. Romans 12, 
They are all together. People here today may not need another sermon, but they might need a hug. They might need a coffee with you. They might need somebody to reach out to them. And if you are wanting people to reach out to you, there's more than likely people wanting you to reach out to them. So we need to break these barriers around us, and if we need to step out as much as anybody do. But we are doing it for the Lord. You see, everything we do in serving God is an act of worship. Worship was never intended to be an event. Yes, we come together to worship God, and it's wonderful. Church was never intended to be an event. It's a brand new life. It's a lifestyle. We worship when we serve. We worship when we love. We worship when we care. We worship when we help places like Samaritan House. We worship when we sow into the Congo. We worship when we sow into the church. It's not separate. There's no separate things. And that's one of the things that the church has become an event. No, Hebrews does say, don't neglect gathering together. But it says this, but let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. The purpose of this is for us to be spurred on uh, so that we can go and be the salt and light. And when we give a cup of water in Jesus' name, we are worshiping. When we visit in hospital, we are worshiping. When we're sitting at the sound desk, when we're rolling up mats, when we put in our chairs, it's an act of worship. That's what God sees it as. These guys come in early, yes, setting up in it. Everything we do should be an act of worship. And when we think of our lives like that, like where we work, we might be the only light in that dark place. And you might be thinking, I, I can't work, it's so evil. Well, it's going to be more evil if you leave. And if you, work, if you see it as an act of worship, serving those people, the ones that have been so used and abused that they cannot even uh, comprehend a healthy relationship. And a lot of our healing is not sitting back and navel-gazing. A lot of our healing comes when we reach out to others. It's one of the biggest therapies. Sitting at home, worrying about your issues and moaning about them, and all of this is not helping. Find something to do. For the city, for the, for the church, whatever it is, God calls you to. Big brothers. I saw a thing on an advert again. And they had some testimonies. Big mothers, whatever they call them. It doesn't sound right, but... <laughs> Kids out there. Taken for a Tim Hortons. Taken to the beach. There are so many areas. There's so many areas. The world is our parish. Working for the Lord, not for the leaders. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord, 
what is the Lord you are serving? You see, if we live our lives in the context of eternity, and we see that our life is like just a little dash in between two dates, and it doesn't matter if you live to 200 or if you live, or somebody lives to 20, that's a very short space. And it's in that space that we have an opportunity to lay up for ourselves eternal blessings. And so we need to be careful with what we do with that dash between those dates. And I'll be 60 next year, and my, my runway is more than likely getting shorter than some of you will still take off time. But let's use it well. We can't worry about our past, and God can restore. There's no future there. Oh, I've wasted all these years. So, are you going to waste the other years you have? No. I'm going to make up for it. Amen? You see, when you serve children in 180, when you come early and set up, and when you lead a small group, and when you sow your whole heart in finances, remember that this is not for the eldership, it's for the Lord. And I wrote this at the end of thinking of servanthood. We're going to pray and worship for a while. And then please stay afterwards. Please, if you, we've got the next step. That's going to be a program now forever. There'll be a, uh, there's a booth there. There's a visitor's lounge. And the whole point with the next step is uh, simply to let you know what uh, opportunities there are. So if you can fill that in or chat to the people, you'll see that. Often, what is your next step? I, I'm hoping it gets to the stage when you're asking each other, so what's your next step? What is my next step? I haven't arrived yet. I'm glad I haven't arrived. We've all got a next step. And so, but this is the key to servanthood. We will never know what it's like to truly be a servant until we enjoy being one. Because when you think of servants in the world, be they cleaning houses or serving us meals and all of that, in a sense we totally ignore them. <laughs> They're serving. And we shouldn't do that. But our Fulfillment, and we should be grateful to each other in serving, should not be dependent on somebody saying thank you, and we should, and we could, and we should. Our fulfillment is in the fact that we are serving him who laid down his life in his service. And so I'm praying that we as a church will truly get this, not only for this group on a Sunday, but that the city will know and see a different, that downtown will know and see a difference, because there's a group of people in the city that are de dedicated to serve. Thank you. We can bow our heads and the worship team come forward.
just, uh, just uh, we, while they sit up and we'll pray after that. I'm not as happy and bouncy as Deborah, but I'm a very happy person. I just get a bit intense sometimes. And also, um, the announcement with the free lattes this week, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is uh, the machine wasn't hooked up properly. The good news is you get free coffee next week. Father God, we thank you that you have called us. Lord Jesus, if you didn't take on the nature of a servant, if you didn't come in human likeness, where would we be today, Lord? Where would the world be? Can you imagine the world without God? And so, Father, I pray. I pray for a fresh revelation of who you are. That we find our identity in who we are and not what we do. We are sons and daughters of God, holy and dearly loved. Every single one of us, loved by the Father. Our identity is we are Father, we have a Father in heaven who loves us, and we receive it there. And Lord, when our function becomes our identity, we are always disappointed. But when we under, function under the place of understanding through revelation of who we are in Christ, it becomes easier. So even as we sing now, Lord Jesus, I pray that, that each one here will understand that we all have sinned and fallen short of your glory, but that you loved us so much, Father God, that you gave your only Son, that whomsoever believing in you would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, even today, that people who have not surrendered their lives to you, Lord God, will seek you and find you. Lord, that they will become part of your family too. Holy Spirit, I ask you to even come now and just rain down upon us, revelation of the Christ, that we serve in you, Lord Jesus. And we do that because you first served us. We can stand and just um, sing that wonderful song.